1: This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Hello. Today, England put in a performance as dreary as the weather over Wembley, as Scotland leave with their pride intact. So, what next for Gareth Southgate and Harry Kane? Plenty to be discussed on this episode of the Game Euro 2020. Make sure you're subscribed to The Times and The Sunday Times for reams of great Euro 2020 content. It is less than a pound per day at the moment. So go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game and you can begin your free trial. I am Hugh Wizencroft and joining me to discuss that earth shattering goalless draw between England and Scotland at Wembley. Well, Gregor Robertson, I'm sure he's pretty happy. Tom Roddy and Tom Clark. How are you all? Hi, Hugh. Hello, oh, Gregor. Excellent, Hugh. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Never been so happy about a goalless draw, I'm sure. I know, Listen, yeah. I, I, I want to dedicate the first half of the podcast to Scotland, who deserve credit for their performance. So, Gregor, firstly, a brave selection from the manager, Steve Clark. What did you make of how Scotland did tonight?
2: I'm genuinely filled with pride. I don't want to, like, make too much of a nil-nil draw, but... We picked the best team we possibly could have. I, I kept talking about playing Scott McTominay in the back three and I'd never thought it would ever happen. But because we have a lot of good midfielders and, and he brought in Billy Gilmore and Billy Gilmore is a player that Scotland haven't ever had before. He, you know, he can play in tight areas. He's technically as good as anyone on that, on that pitch tonight. And, and I think he showed it. Um, and he and then also played Jay McAd- uh Jay McAdams as he's as he's uh, affectionately known now <laughs> up front. And you know, they, they, they caused they caused caused England some problem some problems and you know Adams had probably the one of the best chances. Sliced at a volley. Uh, O'Donnell had a really good good chance in the volley as well. Um McGinn was full of energy, Tierney back. Um Hadley, you know, hanley has been someone who You know he's not he's not he's not been very fondly thought of to be brutally honest by by Scotland supporters despite his you know a a good reputation in England I think and I think in the first two games he's quite possibly been our our most consistent and reliable player so look (laughs) again I don't want to make too much of a nil-nil draw but I, I wouldn't have been I would not have been surprised to see us win that game and I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought it unjust either. I think any any kind of fair made England fan could would could not argue with that either.
1: Tom Roddy, Scotland couldn't have given much more, really.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. But then at the same time also I, I didn't particularly like the reactions after the game. I mean, Gareth Southgate used the word valiant for how Scotland performed and there was this idea of being sort of courageous and um and it almost hinted towards the kind of not quite holding on but i never th- i never thought scotland were were te- tested enough really i didn't think they were i thought in that first half it was a case of okay there's no need to boo here just keep going and it'll eventually fall into place and the quality that england do have because they have far more quality in in most areas on the pitch would Come to fruition, but it didn't. And if anything, I thought Scotland grew into the game so much more. And the, I mean, the star of the game, as UEFA like to call it, Billy Gilmore was, um, I mean, for, by far and away. I thought Kieran Tierney was absolutely excellent. Thought Grant Hanley was excellent, but Tierney, to he, he, I believe he got told. On the bus to Wembley that he was going to be starting, Kiddo's is he 20 yet? He's 20 years old. Um, he has, you know, never played for Scotland before. And his first game is against England at Wembley in a Euros. And he pretty much ran the show. He was up against Mason Mount, which was a fabulous battle in there. And he pretty much ran the show in in there and was was quite understandably knackered until the end. Um, and just to kind of give a a, <laughs> a bit of an idea of where that kind of um, heard about um, it's sort, of, sort of story in between uh, in between the Champions League final and uh, meeting up, uh, Billy Gilmore flew back to uh, London to celebrate the Champions League final, and then. Went to go and meet up with the Scotland squad, and he was—he went to Heathrow. He went on his own, travelled on his own, went to Heathrow. He's- pottering around Heathrow in his fully international England, um, sc- excuse me, Scotland kit and arrives at, arrives at Scotland and Andy Robertson welcomes in, him in, sits him down next to him and says, nobody else is allowed to sit here unless you've got a European championship medal or Champions League medal.
1: <laughs> so I thought, yeah, I thought they were excellent. Tom Clark, Scotland deserve all the plaudits really.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Lots will be made about the kind of brave heart, blood and thunder, valiant Scotland. Weren't they fantastic, beating their chest? But actually, I find myself watching, and I thought they were a the more technically gifted group of players for a lot of for a lot of that game. They were brave on the ball. They were zipping the passes around with more pace and intent than England were a lot of the time. They were playing it out from the back. I mean, even in the first. Five ten minutes, I think that was England's only really good spell. Scott McTominay lost the ball to Sterling, and you started to think, "Oh gosh, this could be a long night." But they they kept playing that way. They kept finding Gilmore, and gradually grew into the game. They were they made good decisions in and out of possession, and so you know this this was far more than Braveheart Scotland, you know, cling on for a valiant point at Wembley. This was this was they were the better team, uh, and they deserved at least a point. And I, as Gregor says, I wouldn't have been as an England fan or as a journalist, I wouldn't have been particularly surprised if they had picked up the win.
2: If there's any kind of, you know, there's there's some kind of, seems to be some reaction to this game as if it was like not entertaining or not, you know, a boring performance by England. It was a sub, slightly substandard performance by England, but Very. I think Scotland deserve, deserve, Scotland deserve credit for that though. Yeah, mm. I don't, yeah you know, I don't think it's just I, I don't think it's just a case of saying England went at it. You know, Mason Mount was probably the bit. You know, Mason Mount was probably the closest thing to to a player who was playing at close to the top of his game. And there was always someone within like within a yard, half a yard of him. He very rarely had any space. I think Scotland played this tactically very well, and there were periods of the game where they held. You know, they held onto the ball. And they created some good chances. I think, you know, I, I, I thought it was an enjoyable game to watch as well. I mean, I would say that, but I, I certainly thought that.
0: <laughs> I didn't think it was enjoyable to watch because, <laughs> but, but partially because...
2: Surprise, surprise. <laughs> it, was it was rubbish. It was because- rubbish, Gregor. I was expecting,
0: and this is this is actually a, a credit to Scotland as well. My my point here is to credit Scotland because I was expecting it to be a real uh, rough tumble, physical, um, you know, flying into tackles. Not not quite, you know, the, the the stuff of the old days. Not quite that, but a real derby feel to it, and it didn't have that. And I th- I think. That was credit to Scotland because they didn't get sucked into playing in that way. They played um, with, with so much composure.
2: Let's not make any bones about it. It's so well England went for us. You know, the only changes they were potentially going to make were fullbacks. And they put on their two attacking fullbacks. And really, they, you know, I think James put on a really dangerous cross in the first half. Luke Shaw did nothing. They, they, you know, they, those changes did very little for England in terms of, you know, an attacking force. So this was England, I, I would suggest, going for it. And and there was very little to show for it.
1: Yeah, I thought they were rubbish England. We're going to come to them in a moment. Let's stick with Scotland for a bit, though. Do you agree, Tom Clark, that this was more about the way that Steve Clark judged it, the way that Scotland applied themselves, than it was a poor performance from England?
3: I w- I'm not sure whether I'd say it was more about that, but there's definitely... Examples to be made across the pitch tactically, I think, where you can back up Gregor's idea that this was as much about Scotland. And his his reference to Luke Shaw there is a good example. Luke Shaw's had a fantastic season for Manchester United. And I thought it was incredibly telling that he played a game and I don't I don't really remember him once overlapping and going down the outside and getting to the byline as he's done for Manchester United all season. And I think a lot of credit for that goes to Stephen O'Donnell, who I think had a fantastic game for Scotland down the right, looked really, really impressive and it felt like as the game went on, Shaw became far more aware of right. I better make sure I'm not caught out of position here, and make sure I'm aware of where O'Donnell's going. Than it did about I'm Luke Shaw. I'm going to get forward and show I'm one of the best left backs of this season. So I think there were little little areas across the pitch. I think Gilmore growing into the game. I'd, I actually think he would he looked a bit off the pace for the first five10 minutes, and then came into the game. I think some of the commentators even referenced it, that he looked a bit slow and Mason Mount nicked the ball off him a few times. But yeah, I think those are the little examples. I think obviously when we discuss England, there will be lots to unpick and lots to talk about that, you know, really deserve merit and deserve some attention. But yeah, the, the bottom line is that there were lots of areas of the pitch where, and I think that O'Donnell Shaw example is a good, good example of what Gregor's talking about. Scotland, did a lot to stop England as much as it was England were completely crap,
0: and they caused. I think that that combination up front of Dykes and um, McAdams uh, works <laughs> really nicely. It's it's he's such a the it's kind of old school in a way. You've got Dykes who was absolutely going for absolutely everything and, and almost recognize we did a piece with um, Tony Cascarino heading into, into this game. And he was sort of unsure about how Dykes would do wouldn't cause too much trouble to Mings and Stones. Um, and, and, and to be fair, I do think this was a game in which Stones and, and um, Mings could have, could have messed up and they didn't really. Um, but sticking with Scotland, the the, the combination of, of Adams playing off Dykes worked really well, and and it troubled Adams' hold up play was was excellent, um, and it really did trouble them and sucked sucked England out a little bit, um, and, and and created the opportunities that that really probably meant Scotland edged it deserved to get the win.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned McAdams, who I'll go and have to make sure I now call him that forever uh, forever on from here because I actually thought he was the best player. I thought he was man of the match. I would have given him man of the match over Gilmore just. Um, I've watched him play for Southampton, but ton- tonight I thought he showed me an element of his game that I'd not seen before. Kind of technical ability in tight areas, keeping the ball when players are harrying him and hurrying him around in those little pockets just off Linden Dykes. I thought he looked really promising. The only thing for Scotland fans, they must be watching it thinking, why the hell didn't we start him in the last game? Because who knows what might have happened. Obviously, he wouldn't have stopped Patrick Schick's wonder goal, but it might have just added another element of their play going forward. I thought he he was really
1: excellent. Gregor, Scotland uh, move on to Croatia next. A win likely to take them through on four points if they can beat the Croatians because of course they drew with the Czech Republic earlier today where are your confidence levels right now about beating Croatia (laughs) through the
2: roof no on the floor (laughs) on the floor on the contrary Tom on the floor you know we've that that was like so heartening watching that you know watching that performance as I say I I was really proud like I felt like this was a team that were kind of shown their togetherness their their desire their effort all these things all the things you really want to see from from your nation playing it would just be typical scotland now to go and play against croatia and you know get you know a draw or or just not win um but you know that's the truth that's the truth i I, I was was born a cynic and i will probably die a cynic i'm scottish that's the way it is (laughs) but I mean, the biggest thing is I think we 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 we've kind of landed upon our our best lineup here. It was always about us, you know. We've only got so many players with with talent deserving of this stage, and we've got most of them on the pitch tonight. And I think that was a big thing, you know. I, I as I say, there was a thing about you know playing play McTominay, and it, I just think getting him getting him in the back three, he played really well in the playoffs. And given an opportunity to, to to Gilmore or to someone else, it could have been someone else. We've got a lot of players. Turnbulls had a great season for Celtic. We've got some really good midfielders, and but Gilmore is someone who that someone in Scotland I've never really had before playing for Scotland. Uh, you know, there were times where he was you pick up the ball and he always he always he always collects the ball in half turn. He always looks forward, and even if you can, he can't, he he looks forward and takes his tu- first touch forward and there's nothing on it, he'll cut back. He's got that ability. He's got the ability to kind of, and the technique to to just chop back and play the pass. You know, it's, he, he doesn't look like a Scottish player. He looks like a little Spanish player. And so I was delighted. I was delighted to see him play. Really was. I didn't think he would. I didn't, there's two th- two decisions tonight that I didn't see. I did not see coming. I didn't think he would start, and I did not think they Tommy would play in a back three. And I was absolutely buzzing when we saw think t- <laughs> you, you could tell when I saw the team sheet come out. I thought, uh, you know, I put in the group chat a little, you know, a little insight here. I put in the group chat Clark cannot be faulted here, and it wasn't Tom Clark. It was Steve Clark. <laughs> yeah, Tom, Tom Clark can always be faulted. Steve Clark, absolutely no chance he didn't put a foot wrong people you know o'donnell was the only question mark and he, he performed really well and i think he's been a solid servant if he'd played patterson you know a kid who's played like nine games for rangers i've got friends of rangers fans who say he is something you know who's got a, someone who has got a big future in front of him you know it would have just looked a little bit too much a little bit too callow a, a team um and I think as I say I think Clark picked the best team tonight and I think we, we saw the result of that well it's proof
3: once again that all the top managers listen to the game podcast because not of course only, not only did he pick the team that Greg Robertson wanted I think our friend Johnny Northcroft said I'd be delighted if it was a nil-nil draw got exactly what he wanted <laughs> and now oh, Johnny as well this week has said that he thinks that Scotland would beat Croatia so now they just need to go out and do that and we'll have the full house we'll have the Scottish contingent of the game podcast very very happy and that's what we want
1: would love to see Scotland through, would love to see England through, love to see Wales through as well. Gives us plenty to talk about uh, on the game podcast for the next few weeks as well. We want that to last as long as possible, of course. But we've got to move on to England. I don't think this is going to be as positive as Gregor has just been discussing Scotland, I've got to say. I think they've shown everyone exactly why they are incredibly unlikely to win the Euros, despite... All the belief about football coming home. They had a lack of composure, as far as I was concerned. It seemed like they were trying to score every time they got it. The approach from Gareth Southgate in terms of their play. Why you don't? I don't think you need 11 Premier League players to do that. I've got to be perfectly honest. There's plenty of EFL players that could have done what Gareth Southgate wanted them to do tonight, as far as I'm concerned. What was the game plan? Does anyone have an answer to that? I'll ask. I'll ask one of my English friends. Excuse me for a moment, Gregor, Tom, Roddy, Tom Clark. What was England's game plan tonight under Gareth Southgate? Do you know? Could you tell? I'm not, I'm not quite sure.
3: I'm like, I'd like to think, reflecting on it, I'd, I'd need to watch the game again, which I'm not sure would be a good idea. I am struggling to sleep at the minute, so maybe I'll stick it on later. They seem to be on the front foot and quite keen in the opening five minutes, pressing Scotland at the back. As I said earlier, nicked, Sterling nicking the ball off McTominay and creating that chance. Mason Mount was buzzing around in the kind of number 10 hole area, trying to get on the ball. But the intensity just dropped. Tom earlier talked about Reese James putting in that good cross it was the only one he did, which is just a complete waste of his talents. As I've already said, Luke Shaw didn't get forward. It looked very confused and very slow. And that's a real worry. You know, we whatever you wanted from this England team, and for all the arguments that the four of us had, and all, all the other people who come on this podcast about three at the back, four at the back, three in midfield, two, three, one whatever you wanted. Most of us wanted a settled system because when it comes to tournament football, you have a clear identity and a way of playing. And if you don't, games like this happen where you come up against a team who play really well at maybe the the top of their their levels and you can't find a way past them and you look completely confused and devoid of ideas because ultimately we went into this tournament not knowing what the game plan was and that showed in this game, I think.
0: There's an irony for me in that we went into this tournament thinking, "God, look at all that talent up front in the attacking areas of the field, and we're going to struggle at the back. That's going to be the big issue." Um, and t- tonight was the total opposite of that. I mean, I, I felt like they were they didn't they didn't play as a team, and it's 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 almost no surprise in a way because. All we were talking about, and again, um, our, uh, our fortune teller uh, Johnny of the podcast, Johnny Northcroft, kept on saying about how we, there isn't a, a set side. Um, there's no clear team. And that's been an issue, even though it has been at the tournament. I don't think they play, they, they don't play, they, they look like a side that haven't played together that's what it seems like for me and also i just think the the most uncomfortable moment and probably the moment that made me think oh yeah all of this kind of optimism has has just fell through the floor was when kane got subbed off not because he didn't he, it wasn't right to take him off um he's he's not he's not at the right level at the moment. But just because when your best player is not being effective and you're not using him or getting him to play, um, utilising him in the right way and he's coming off,
3: that's not a good sign. I just wanted to touch briefly on Tom's use of the term best player because obviously this England team packed with talent as it is has had two games now. And I think if we were... Picking our best players, you've got a defensive midfielder, Calvin Phillips, from the first game. And I think, I don't know what you guys think, but for me, Jordan Pickford and Tyrone Mings were probably the best players for England uh, against Scotland. Pickford made a few good saves, dealt with some decent corners into a very crowded penalty area quite well. And Tyrone Mings put in a solid performance against Lyndon Dykes, who caused him a lot of problems with with a group of players that includes Phil Foden, Raheem Sterling, Jaden Sancho, Marcus Rashford, Jack Grealish, Harry Kane, if they're the three players you're picking out from your opening two games against Croatia and Scotland, that's a worrying position to be in for Gareth Southgate.
2: I think Mason Mount Mason Mount, every time he was on the pitch, he's a he's a danger. Um he he was the one player I thought when he when the ball was at his feet you know, I was, I was worried, <laughs> um, and you know, the word that, as Tom said, there were some real battles with him and Billy Gilmore and I, I, I enjoyed watching them, but when he had the ball at his feet, England looked a threat, Stelling got the ball, Foden got the ball to his feet. They didn't do much. They really, they were, they were suffocated really. I think Mount is the one player who can find these little bits of space and he doesn't actually need that much space. He only needs half a yard, and he can, and he can, and you know, he can get a shot off, or he can, he can pick a pass. I think he was probably England's best player personally.
3: I, th- I think you're right to raise the point about Mason Mount, but one of the things, and Tom watches a lot of Chelsea, so he can probably give more insight than I can on this. But whenever I see Mason Mount play well, it's when he has the ball fizzed into his feet on like that half turn pirouette, and he spins away from someone very quickly. England's passing was so slow, so turgid, it lacked any kind of intensity, and so. Yes, you're right to say that Mason Mount is excellent, but without players behind him fizzing passes into him to to create that kind of pace in the game, it's very hard for him to do that on his own. Yeah, it's, it's and and even
0: it's a broader point that um, not not even just Mason Mount is a broader point that England, all of their club teams that those those players play for, they're at their best when they're playing intense. Uh, quick football and it was just so slow and and
1: lethargic tonight and, and kind of ponderous as well which was a worry The two holding midfielders for me I don't think it's really necessary I, I think Gareth Southgate needs to go back to the 3-4-3 I think Mount should play alongside Rice Rice was just dropping into the fullback areas he's trying to be our Sergio Busquets it's not going to happen he's got so many great attributes you know running the game as a deep-lying playmaker is not why Declan Rice is in the England squad. It's not why he's in the England starting eleven, But I do think Mason Mount needs to be able to get on the ball deeper. And if that means that England are, are not going to dominate the ball in the final third, I don't want to see him dropping deep. That's what he was doing, dropping all the way back to beside Declan Wright to get the ball. While Calvin Phillips does this box-to-box job, for Noah, I, I don't know why he's still doing it. He might have set up the goal in the first game, but he just vacates the midfield area. And then when the defenders have the ball at their feet, it's either go long or have no one to pass to in the central midfield area, or go sideways. I I really don't understand that game plan, why you would not play Jude Bellingham, why you wouldn't put Mason Mount deeper if you want someone to do that job, as good a player as Calvin Phillips is. I just think it's totally confused at the moment. There is no final third play from England. There is no plan You're not going to get the best out of Harry Kane unless you create clear goal-scoring opportunities. That's what he does. He's a goal-scorer. The rest of it, as much as he's great and we can give him all these plaudits about linking up and doing this other stuff, he's one of the best goal-scorers in the business. You need to give him good service to get the best out of him. And and we're not doing that. And when he came off, I've got to say, it wasn't a surprise. He was near absent. But I can understand why Marcus Rashford came on. If all you were seemingly doing... Is getting players to to loft it into the final. Th- I mean, it was the weirdest plan ever. It was just like swivel, hit it into the box. It was running through to David Marshall we're out for a goal kick. We did it about fifteen times. That's why I genuinely say you don't need Premier League players to do that. You you really don't. And it, ultimately, you don't need Harry Kane up front if that's what you want to do. It was just listen. We'll get to Gareth Southgate in a moment. I'm ranting already. Um, but there is an issue I think with Harry Kane just because we can't create those chances for him. Jack Grealish was another player who came on for the last half an hour. I think we got the answer to the question, no, he can't solve all of England's problems on his own as much as the fans would would want him to. There is something deeper going on here with how England have chosen to play in this competition and I still don't understand it. Um, Does anyone have an answer? Anyone have an answer with what's going on with Kane? why Grealish isn't going to play to his level if we get him on, why Rashford probably isn't, where's Jaden Sancho, where's Jude Bellingham, what's going on, guys? Tom, Clark, tell me. Well, you make an interesting point about Kane because there's, there's various
3: theories that you could have. One of them is being raised on, never want to take the cues from social media, but people making the point about potentially being either A, distracted by Christian Eriksen in that situation with someone that he's very close to. Also, the situation over his club, you know, what's going to happen this summer? makes the point before a massive tournament, i probably want to leave. I'm not sure any international manager wants their best player and captain to have that hanging over them. And, you know, he did suffer an injury towards the end of the season, which he never looked fully recovered from and fully sharp, I don't think, when he came back. So that that is a problem. But then also you're not going to drop Harry Kane. So you're then in this situation that we've had previously with Wayne Rooney at tournaments um, before where he's not in form or maybe he's coming back from an injury, but you can't drop him. Because if it clicks and he gets two goals, that can turn the whole thing around. But you're relying on that happening. So Kane is a big issue, I think, and not one that, you know, you can maybe just dismiss. I mean, I don't know whether Gregor thinks that the transfer stuff should even affect him, whether the
2: injury stuff should affect him. I don't know whether I'm right on that or not. No, I don't <laughs> think it should. <laughs> I mean, look, look, let's be honest. The, the only questions, you know, a lot of people are there's a clamor for Grealish. And he came on and he got the ball. He had plenty of the ball to his feet and he didn't do much with it. He had a lot of touches. He had a lot of, you know, little swivels in his own halfway line. And people felt, you know, O'Donnell gave him a bit of, uh, a bit bit of close attention. Um, you know, Rashford as well. Rashford came on. I I think that's the only two, that's the only two players who really you would think you could put into this team from the start. I don't think anyone's going to play Sancho from the start. I, you know, there might be a case for that. And he's had a fantastic season in Germany, and there's, you know, James Gearbrandt's written some really excellent pieces about jane Sancho and and, and the kind of attitude towards him, the, the way that he's perceived, um, and he's a f- hugely talented player. But I don't think anyone really wants him to start. So the two players who, who, who anyone could say should be starting for England came on, and they had very little impact. And you know, Grealish is a hugely talented player. I, I just think that Scotland set a very very well, and they frustrated England tonight. And I don't know. I, I, I think I think you're right, Hugh. I think it's not it's not just about this team selection. And I, I don't want to. I'm not going to start. I'm not going to sit here and start giving Gareth Southgate any you kind know, of.
1: All right, let me do it then. Let me do it then. <laughs> what next for Gareth Southgate? Because honestly, what's going on with Gareth? Come on, Tom Roddy. This is a such a talented group of players. We've got an early warning sign here. It wasn't a knockout game, but it shows the first two matches. It's clear. There are issues with the fluidity of England's play, and he has to come up with an answer. The worst cliche
0: that I hate hearing people say is uh, that it's a good headache to have. I really hate it, and I think he's he's actually struggling with this a lot because when, when you look at that attack, when you look at what Kane has done so well for for Tottenham, it is playing dropping deep, and and he he's even said he said in interviews before that even the midfielders get out of the way for him. He was that team under Mourinho was centered around him. He drops deep; they get out of the way. The players that Southgate has chosen are pretty much ones apart from Sterling. They they all kind of are wanting to populate the same area. I disagree with you, Hugh. I don't think that Mason Mount is. I think he can play deeper, but I think he's better getting in between the lines. I think he's one of the the, the few players who. You even saw it with Grealish tonight. He takes the ball and and. His first touch is back. Mount is always on the turn and Foden wants to play over there as well, getting in those little pockets. They're all populating the same area and then they're they're not making the runs. They're not making the runs that that Son makes for for, um, Kane, that Gareth Bale was making for Kane that's what made him so affected this year and and whether that is i don't know whether that is um a case of reverting back to 2018 and saying forget it don't do that go back to what you you what we are best at with you and that is being a goal scorer a predatory goal scorer around the box we've got enough players who can do that that job i don't know whether that's the solution but um, it's certainly a problem at the moment
2: quickly say sorry that like there is something about <laughs> you do don't, you don't, something of the English psyche here't let, let's not overdo it you've not conceded a goal you're basically qualified um you know there, there are some issues about what your best team is and what the selection will be um I, I, it, you know there was huge praise heaped upon calvin Phillips and England after what I thought and I said in the last book in you know, a few podcasts before, was well, an okay performance. It wasn't that good. And Calvin Phillips played well and he set up a goal and he, he was he was the outstanding player. But you know, there was huge praise heaped upon him and now all of a sudden England's midfield is an issue. After ninety minutes against an obdurate Scotland team. So you know there there is something about you need to have a look at yourselves here. It's about the English psyche. Whoa, 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 whoa whoa, oh,
3: whoa, whoa, One whoa. draw and more.
2: Seriously, seriously, I, I, we, we can have a look at ourselves because we're, we're double negative all the time. But you guys, you, you, you know, 90 minutes of football, it's a swing from the sublime to the ridiculous and it's not that bad. France, we have spoke about France before, we've seen them one game, they're not very good to watch. I didn't enjoy watching them. I didn't enjoy watching them much when they won the World Cup. They won the World Cup.
3: But they had a way of playing. It wasn't nice. I agreed with you. I didn't like watching France for the whole World Cup, but they played that same way the whole World Cup. Solid in midfield. Matuidi, Pogba. Get the ball to Pogba. Go on, Kylian. Off you go, son. In behind. Bang. Off we go. Let's try and get a goal. You, you had that level of positivity after the win against Croatia. And I don't think it was deserved. I didn't. I was with you. I didn't think it was that impressive. I thought it came from a couple of good moments. I think you are right, Gregor, about the English psyche and that we can overdo it. And you do see a lot of, there's a lot of people in on the Times website tonight commenting on Henry Winter's report saying, let's not get carried away, we've got four points. But I think there is a case for overdoing it a little bit when you have a group of players this talented with this much potential and to be it through two games and yeah, fine, we haven't conceded, but we only scored one goal, not really created that many chances. That's the main thing. We went into this tournament with a lot of people saying, this is England's chance to win a tournament. We're miles away from that now, and so that's where the disaster uh, narrative comes from.
1: I just think that it come if you play badly and you're England and you have got that many good players, you're going to get slated. I mean, it's it's inevitable. The only way England are going to win a, a tournament is if they play better. You know, they've now got the players. We can't say we haven't got good. We ha- we can't say we haven't got good enough players to compete in international football anymore. So we need to. We need the rest of it. And ultimately, there's always going to be that question mark. Let's try and be constructive then. Let's try and be constructive and like one or two changes then. I've got to go to the airport. You've got 60 seconds (laughs) to be constructive.
3: 60 seconds. All right. Grealish and Rashford start the next game instead of Sterling and don't know. Foden. Foden. Yeah. Try and get Rashford in behind to give the space for Kane to drop deep, like Tom says. See if that makes a difference. There you go
1: our issue is we might not learn that much against the Czech Republic. England are stuck in some sort of limbo where for me, I think if they have, if they're going to go far and win a competition, they need to stop thinking they're really good and they need to play like an underdog more. They need to set up deeper and they need to play on the counter attack, which is what France do with the best squad in the, in the tournament. It's a very, you need a simple plan the problem is England think they're a really good side and they want to play like Spain and they want to dominate teams. They want to have all the possession. They haven't yet realized that they probably aren't as good as, as the players that they have. There's no Jurgen Klopp running this team. There's no Pep Guardiola. Sam Allardyce probably would have been a better England manager. I'm, I'm prepared to say that. So, what? <laughs> all this season, I knew it would come to this. Finally, Hugh
3: Wasn't is arguing anti-football. Sammy, you need anti-football we'll bring it <laughs> home I knew it I knew it would come back to this oh so so joyous to hear you
2: say it a nil nil draw against Scotland and you're calling for Big Sam happy <laughs> days
1: <laughs> I want to see 3-4-3 three, three, get Harry Maguire back in there head it away Put it into Ed. Let's do it the old school way and it will probably take us further. That, that, that's what I'm going to end on. Gentlemen, thank you very much. England, obviously, very, very likely to go through. So we shouldn't be complaining too, too much. But, um, but yeah, I think many people's reaction to the game we've just seen is that it could have been a, a lot better. I was hoping for one for the ages. Maybe I'm just a little bit disappointed by how it all went. But Gregor Robertson, delighted by how it went. Tom Roddy and Tom Clark, thank you for joining me on this episode of The Game. And for all of you for listening as well, thank you very, very much. I will be running off to the airport here in Baku, so I'll be back with you very shortly. But remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. And make sure you're subscribed to The Times and The Sunday Times right now as well. Go online, search thetimes.co.uk, forward slash The Game, and you can start your free trial right now. We will see you very soon. Take care.